Good morning to all of you this morning. I got too many notes in my Bible, so uh, we'll only use the ones that are applicable this morning. Um, we've had a lot of sermons on love, haven't we? Um, I, I can remember at least three um, in the last year. I think uh, maybe Galen shared one, and Milo shared one, and um, well, there were two two sermons on love at home. So, uh, but this will be. Um, love as a fruit of the Spirit. So this is the last one. So if you are tired of the fruit of the Spirit, um, we'll, I, I, will, I won't be sharing on this for a while anyway. Uh, I guess we could just start over again and see what changes. Um, so love. So I was thinking about this. My mind went to um, the story of Operation Aka. And you all are familiar with that story, but I'm going to tell it in brief. Um, there were five men. Um, The two most familiar of those were Nate Saint and Jim Elliott, Um, but there were three others um, that I didn't write down, so I won't tell you their names, but they did have names, and their families loved them dearly. Um, And they were working in Ecuador with uh, a group of indigenous people called the Quechua people, and they learned while they were working with these people about a tribe called the Wathroni, and um, that tribe was a particularly violent tribe. Um, the, um, they were known to spear foreigners, but they also speared each other on a frequent basis. And uh, the Quechua called them Akas. And Aka is not, um, is not the term that they called themselves. It's a, it's a word which in the Quechua language means savage. And so it wasn't a, a very good thing. Um, but... Um, but Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the others in this group of missionaries decided that these people desperately needed the gospel. And so they were going to reach out to them. And they didn't want to just um, go shambling through the jungle to see if they could meet up with them. They decided they would reach out to them. And so they began dropping gifts out of airplane. And they figured out how to lower a bucket and kind of circle around in, in the um, the Wadroni started taking the things that they dropped out of the bucket. And then they started putting some things back into the bucket. And um, so they thought this was a positive sign. The whole time that this was happening, Nate, Saint's sister Rachel, was working with a girl who'd escaped from this tribe called Dayuma. Um, and um, if you've ever read the, the book... Um, uh, through Gates of Splendor, she has a little part in that book. There's actually a longer book called The Dayoma Story that was written about her and about Rachel working with her. But she was a Wadroni whose father had been speared by an angry tribesman, and she had run away from the jungle, and she had been living with the Quechua people. And Rachel was attempting to learn the language of this people from her. And it was slow going because she had been gone from the jungle long enough that she had forgotten a lot of her native tongue, and so she would try to remember how she said different things, and just step by step, they were starting to piece the, um, the language together. And um, I don't know that she totally understood why, uh, why Rachel wanted to learn this, um, but these men went to Dayuma, and they learned some simple phrases, and they started just broadcasting them, um, saying things like, um, we're friends and stuff like that. Um, but Dayuma told them, she said, while the Akas may appear friendly, you should never, never trust them. While they may appear friendly, they will turn around and kill. And we don't know what happened, but one day, the, um, the men in this missionary group 
decided that it was time to make an in-person contact. And so they, um, they went and, and met with this group, and things seemed to go well. They actually took one of the men up in an airplane flight. Um, they called him George, although that was not his name. And, um, and so they went back and they said, we're going to make an official, like, set down contact. And so um, the Wagroni came to the beach again that day, but instead of um, friendly um, actions as before, they speared every single one of the men. Um, and, you know, looking back on that story, we don't know if there would have been better ways for them to reach out, if there have been ways to, to make contact more gradually. Um, but what we know is that these men gave their lives because they had a desperate love for God and for this tribe that would not allow them to stand aside and let fear guide their path. They had to try to show Christ to this tribe. And maybe this is a little of what picture of what love looks like. But maybe it's a little idealistic for us, too. So we know that love is the most important fruit of the Spirit. Um, it comes first for a reason. So if you would read the Bible, you would say that love is the most important thing that we are called to do. This is true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. Um, so there's a passage that says, God is love. Um, Jesus told his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Um, and when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So the most important thing for us to do is to love God, right? And yet, if we think about it, these two things are linked. Um, because if we read in 1 John, it makes it very clear that we cannot say that we love God if we do not love our brothers. And so you could say, well, I love God, and yet, if you do, you're going to love your neighbor. That's just all there is to it. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that we demonstrate our love for God by the way that we love other people. So the Greek word here is agape, and this is a selfless, holy love that is shown to us most clearly by Christ's sacrifice for us. Um, the King James Version often translates this word as charity, um, but it also translated, translates it as love, and occurs 115 times in the New Testament. Um, and it's important to remember that this sort of love is wholehearted, um, and focused. Um, there's another kind of love called phileo, and you all have heard of phileo love. It's brotherly love. Uh, maybe not quite as deep as what agape love is. Um, and um, I, I think we make too much of the difference between these two words. So you probably have heard um, sermons preached on the difference between agape love and phileo love, and I think it's, we're, we're going to separate those this morning, but um, but if you read through Scripture, they're used pretty interchangeably. Um, so there's not, it's not something where you can say, oh, look, he used the word agape here. So that means like God-centered, selfless, holy love. And, um, and over here, he used phileo. So he's just saying, you know, just kind of come, along, come alongside love. So we, um, 
have heard about John chapter 21 when Peter was addressed by, by Jesus and, and Jesus uses agape and Peter uses phileo. Um, but if we, if we read that passage, we understand that Peter wasn't grieved by the fact that Jesus was using agape. Peter was grieved by the fact that Jesus kept asking him the same question. Um, and it was his affirmation three times that, um, that set the tone for his commitment to Jesus. So John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43 um, says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And the word agape is used here. So this is not an example of good agape. So if, you know, if agape is always wonderful... Um, but it says that they valued Jesus, but that they valued the praise of men more. Um, and so um, they were conflicted in their love and loving the wrong thing. Second Timothy 4 verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica. And once again, the word here used here is agape. Um, the problem wasn't that Demas had gone to Thessalonica. The problem was that he'd lost his love for the things of God and was no longer serving the right master. So Satan desperately wants us to focus our love on the things that are in his kingdom. And maybe if I could give just a a brief definition for these two words that that we're going to use this morning, a working definition, I would say that agape love is in spite of love. In spite of this thing or that thing or the other thing about this person, I choose to love them. Whereas phileo is going to be alongside love. Love that requires mutuality and even friendship. Um, I had a patient um, in Indiana who was an older man who almost never took a bath. Um, He was grimy. His clothes were grimy. And I could only imagine what his house looked like. And one day, uh, we'll call him Ed. Ed came in and his clothes were clean. And he didn't smell bad. And I found out that the, there was a couple that went to a church in the town of Orleans who had made him a project. And they came into his house and they cleaned it. And they, um, they cleaned Ed as well. And, and I don't know that he, they did anything for the inside of him, but the outside of him certainly was more appealing afterwards. And you could say that they loved Ed in spite of his smell and his dirt. Um, So love requires two things. It requires relationship and a desire to bring wholeness to someone. And it's an action word. It's not simply thinking pleasant or nice thoughts about someone else. Um, And you think about Joseph and his brothers. um, Joseph's brothers did something that was very harmful to him. They kidnapped him, they almost killed him, and then they sold him for a slave. And at the end of the day, something good came to pass because of what they had done. Um, So you could say, well, it was a loving thing to do. You know, look at all the wonderful things that happened because they sold him into slavery. But of course it wasn't. Their intentions were bad. So even if something good happens because of what you did, you can't argue that it was a loving thing to do. It was a bad thing. Um, And the brothers knew that, didn't they? On the other hand, Joseph, at the end of the story, had an opportunity to make his brothers suffer, and 
Instead, he chose to forgive them and to bless their families. And this is an example of agape love, a healing of relationship and an offer to bring wholeness where none was deserved. And the idea of relationship here is important, too. Um, sometimes it's hardest to show love to the people who are nearest to us, and it's easier to give for people who are hurting somewhere around the world. So if a man says, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a, a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. That's First John 4, 22 and 23. And the point is, of love is not simply to do nice things. Um, if, um, um, if Jeff Bezos gives a whole lot of money to charity and, um, and um, still gets divorced from his wife and is absent from his family, that's not love. Um, he is demonstrating what his, where his heart is by his actions. Um, and giving in one area of our life is not going to take up the place for the, the people that are closest to us, how we respond to them. Um, and yet there's sort of this balance. You know, a lot of times people who um, give a lot to charity are also very guilty people, aren't they? They, they feel bad about this or that or the other thing. Um, and so they, they start foundations and they, they do wonderful things, and yet the people closest to, closest to them have suffered greatly. So God's love for us is the first place that I would like to start. And this is the thing that we're going to try to emulate in our own lives. And it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? Um, the song says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of his love, leading, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. And we cannot fully understand anything about God's love or how it permeates all of who he is. God desires us. He feels warm feelings towards us, but most of all, he wants to bring us into shalom, into perfection, into wholeness. And it's something that cannot happen easily. It was something that required the death of his son to make it happen. So what are the qualities that we see in God's love? John 4, 9 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 9. Yeah. So, first thing we see here is that God's love began before we loved him. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Um, maybe we could think of unborn children. Parents love their child that is expected long before they ever see that child's face. They have a desire for that child. Um, most mothers eat better during their pregnancies than they do any other time. Um, they're careful what they do and what medicines they take and what things they do. It's because of love. And in the same way, God loves us long before we love him. 1 Corinthians one twenty six says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Uh, so, God does not love us because of our talents, gifts, beauty, or any other endearing quality that we might have. 
So you're talking about in spite of love. Um, God loves us in spite of who we are, in spite of who I am. He knows all the things that are wrong with me, and he still loves me. God's love is sacrificial, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And that's something that none of us could expect. God's love is universal. Most famous verse, probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. The whole point is that God has made a choice to accept every one of us, if we will only choose to go his direction. And God was motivated by his love to have a great enough grace that would be sufficient for all. God's love is inescapable. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38, 39. To me, this is a promise. There is nothing on earth that can stand between me and God's love. Um, there's a poem that's... Um, that I really like, and I'm not going to read it this morning, but it's called The Hound of Heaven. And it's, it's written about a man who runs away from, from God, and yet the Hound of Heaven chases him down every single dark alley he goes down. That's what God's love does for us. God's love is beyond our comprehension. Ephesians 3, 17 and 19 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And Paul says that even though the love of God is beyond our ability to understand, we should still try to grasp it, to understand what he did for us how he perseveres along with us. Let's turn to John chapter 13. This is a super familiar passage. Um, we, um, we read this every, uh, well, probably three times a year right now when we do foot washing. And yet it feels to me like this is the parable, the demonstration of Jesus' love for his disciples. And he says at the end of it, you do the same thing. John 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus answered him, and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, 
He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that was sent than greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So this is a passage about love. It begins saying that Jesus, having loved his own, loves them to the end. The ultimate love. And the ultimate love was not just shown in him going to the cross. It was shown in him laying aside his authority and becoming a humble servant. So this was a servant's task, wasn't it? And it would have been totally appropriate for Jesus to, to say, you know, I've realized the last five places we've been at, there's not been someone to wash our feet. You know, that's, um, that's something that uh, I think, you know, you all could do a little better on. We're going to, um, we're going to um, start alphabetically. Um, Andrew will go first and then Bartholomew. And Bartholomew would say, hey, wait a second. My real name is Nathaniel. I know you all call me Bartholomew, but back at home, they all called me Nathaniel, and that's what I prefer. I should go down the list a little ways. Andrew would say, remember, Jesus, I, I was one of the first disciples. I, I followed you in the very beginning. Um, sounds like you should go on seniority here. Um, what about Simon the Zealot? He, he doesn't do much. He can start, and if we get around to it, I'm happy to do it down the road a little ways. But that's not what happened. Jesus saw what needed to be done, and he loved his disciples, even in their dirt. Servanthood. Love is willing to lay aside its trappings of authority and kneel down and attempt to bring shalom to a brother or sister's life. And then probably one other thing that stands out to me in this passage is that love is often misunderstood. Peter did not understand what Jesus was doing. Peter was not going to take Jesus' place. He did not say, Lord, I see you serving the other fellows that are here, and I am willing to, to step down and do this for them because I see the need here. No, but he, he did want Jesus to go and like, give him a complete bath, um, which seems an odd thing to do right then. But um, anyway, he just didn't quite understand. And sometimes when we love other people, it's going to be misunderstood. Um, so this is an example for us, isn't it? Jesus says that clearly. I have loved you in this way. You love each other. And that's not saying, wash your feet, come communion time. I, I think that's a good thing to do. Um, but it's us being willing to set aside our rights, our privileges, our authority, and bend down and help somebody in need. I have older patients that need foot care. And um, 
You know, as people get older, their feet get farther away. I'm not, it's not because they're growing taller, but it's just something about it. Um, and so, and sometimes their nails get more tough to cut and they don't have the grip strength. And so I have patients that I cut their nails when they come in to see me. And it's not something that I really enjoy doing, but it's something that's needed. And I think about that when I'm doing that. I am doing that for Jesus right now. And that's a good thing. And so as we see these little areas in other people's lives that we can minister, they're not big things, we can help out. So human love. Uh, maybe the ultimate love we can think of is a mother's love for her children. Um, one spring I pulled a, a, um, my grill cover off and there was a little nest of mouse babies and, um, and, a, and a mother mouse was kind of like doing her thing on top of it. Um, in my grill, and she was pretty shocked to see me, and you could tell she was scared to death. Um, and um, and yet, trip by trip, she came back and, and one by one carried her babies away um, while I watched. Um, and I just thought about that. You know, this mother mouse is demonstrating love. She couldn't express it in words. She didn't know anything, and yet she had a desire to see these babies live that overcame any fear that she had. Love does not say, I can always have more babies. It, love says, I will risk my life for my baby because I love him. I love her. So the Apostle Paul was led into ministry by his love for people. 1 Corinthians 9, um, verses 19 through 23, talks about all the different things that Paul was willing to do. I'm not going to read that this morning, but... Uh, it says that he was willing to become as a Jew. He was willing to become as free or enslaved. Um, he was willing to become weak in order that the gospel could go forth. Uh, Romans 9.3 says, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And Paul is saying here that he was willing to take the place of his fellow Jews, if it was possible, to give up his salvation so that they could receive salvation. Um, and in the same way, we need to be willing to do that when we love people. So what are the qualities that people who have agape love for others demonstrate? Um, they forgive. This comes up a lot when we're thinking about the, um, the fruit of the Spirit. But forgiveness is hard. And it's the reason why it's said so, ma so often. Matthew 6.14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Um, they are willing to sacrifice. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And clearly Jesus demonstrated this love, and he expects the same thing for us. Um, one thing about love is that they do not assist others in harmful behaviors and activities. So some people think that love is pretty passive, that it just is enabling, that it just says, whatever you do, I'm going to excuse, I'm going to let you continue down a harmful path. Um, Luke 15, 11 through 32 is the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son is a story of a father who loved his son, even though his son was not who his son should have been. And yet, 
we don't see the father going out and um, sending money to enable that behavior. He didn't even go to the town. He stayed at home and waited. And when that son was at the end of himself, he came back. And in the same way, love does not enable people to go down harmful paths. Uh, And people who do agape love do it in spite of everybody else's actions, attitudes, and behavior. So we need to realize that we demonstrate our love for God by the ways in which we treat our fellow humans. Uh, The parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, basically Jesus says that in the final judgment, he's going to make two groups, okay? And there's going to be sheep and goats. And the sheep are going to be the people who did, for the least of these, what they needed, um, who ministered to people in prison, who who ministered to the sick, and the goats are going to be the ones who didn't. Um, and he doesn't say anything about praying a prayer. He doesn't say anything about um, believing in Jesus, although those things are probably important. Um, but he talks about love, love in action, love with shoes on. So when we are loving, we need to look and listen. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, And I've said before that I think it's more than that. Um, We should love people in the way that is needed in that moment. Um, So if husbands, um, you know, Christmas is coming up, and if you think, you know, the thing I would really like for Christmas is a new scroll saw. You should not get that for your wife for Christmas, even though it's something that you would like. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I had a brother growing up who who would always get people um, Christmas presents that he wanted to play with, and then he would play with them after they didn't really want them. And it's really worked out well for him, but not so well for the other people. So uh, a good gift is one that is thoughtful and understands who somebody is. Um, So take the time to listen. Um, Doing a chore for somebody who needs something done or giving a word of encouragement. um, The best acts of love are done out of knowledge. Knowledge of what that other person likes and needs. Um, There's a book called The Love Languages. um, The Five Love Languages, maybe, by Gary Chapman. and, um, And he makes a point in there that... There are five love languages. Um, Quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts, and physical touch. And what he says, um, and I think this is probably accurate, is that if we express love to somebody with one of these things, and it's not the way in which they express or feel love, then it won't mean much to them. So, just as an example, if you're love language is gifts, and you give people things to show that you love them, but somebody else's love language is quality time, and they just want you to sit down and spend an hour with them. You can do all the deeds of service or the uh, give them all the gifts you want, and they are not going to perceive that as you loving them. Um, and this is probably a big deal. Um, you know, if I get up and I wash the dishes, I feel like I'm doing something wonderful. Um, but um, but my wife would rather actually have me sit down and listen to her and talk to her for a little, for 
a long while maybe. And that's a, and I need to understand that and be willing to be um, what she needs in that moment. Be willing to do small things. So I'm not sure why, but sometimes the small things are the hardest things for people to do. Um, so these can be things like children cleaning up after yourselves. Um, this can be squeezing the toothpaste in the right way. Um, this can be replacing the toilet roll when there's only one square of toilet paper left. Um, these are all things. Um, and of course, these are small things. And it's easy for us to say, you know, love covers a multitude of things. If you love me, you'll let me do this. You know, I, I can leave my clothes on the floor and it's not a big deal because you love me. And yet, love means I am willing to change the small and the big things in my life to make your life easier. So when I was a boy, my younger brother would deliberately aggravate me by telling me that he could sing lower than I could. Um, and, um, and neither one of us had had um, our voice changed yet, and so we would just croak. And we wouldn't sound very good. Um, and we would, we would just get into fights over this sort of thing. Um, and eventually, we grew up and we, we don't get in fights over that. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a stage that you go through where you just deliberately aggravate your siblings. And hopefully you grow out of that. Hopefully we don't see that in the church where you just say things just to, to irritate other people. But so much of love is about being sensitive to other people and to hear where their hearts are at and try to, to speak to those. So there are always two possible responses. We could say that's a silly small thing and why get bent out of shape about it? Or that's a very small thing that I can do to bring peace to the brotherhood. And so in the home, in the church, we need to be willing to do these things. And the last thing I would say with regard to agape love in humans is that love is an action word. It involves behaving in a loving fashion towards someone, even if we don't feel kindly towards them. I've said in spite of love a lot of times, and I'm going to say it again. Love, as Jesus wants us to show, it is love that loves in spite of who I'm loving. The Holy Spirit can work in our hearts over time and bring more warm feelings, but there are just going to be times when we have to do something, and we won't get any affirmation for doing it. We're going to be discouraged about this, um, and we still need to love. So I, um, I had a, a situation where someone called me. This has been several months ago, and, um, and they, I was on call, and they said... Um, that they had a cut on their foot. And I said, oh, well, usually we have people who get cuts on their foot on weekends just go to the urgent care and they'll sew them up. And they said, well, isn't there a doctor who can come into the office and sew me up? And this was somebody from Brookdale. And I said, well, I mean, yeah, I, I could do that. I don't really feel excited about doing that. Um, and they, they sort of made me feel kind of guilty. And I said, okay, well, I'll meet you over at the the office in, in about half an hour. So as I was driving over there, I, I felt just kind of convicted. Like, you know, Jesus said, um, 
that we should not just love people who love us. We should love people who we don't even know. And, and we should, you know, and then I started feeling good about myself. Well, look, I'm doing what Jesus told me to do. I'm, I'm loving that publican out there. I don't know. I don't even know if she was a publican. But anyway, this is somebody who, um, this is somebody who, I don't, I'm not going to get any benefit from this. And I'm feeling pretty good. And then I started feeling guilty about that. I'm like, okay. Here I'm feeling good about, I'm proud of my love, and, and I just realized, you know, I just need to be willing to, to, to serve God in this moment and not feel good or sorry for myself, but just say, you know, Jesus gave me this opportunity. And if I can just do that, it will make a difference. Going back to the, the story of Operation Aka. Rachel Saint, after her brother died, continued to work with Dayuma. Um, and they both had suffered at the hands of the Waroni. Um, Dayuma's father and brother had been speared by them, and Rachel's brother, of course, had been killed by them. And yet Rachel was committed to learning the language of this people. She spent hours compiling vocabulary in the process of learning and spending time with Dayuma. Dayuma became a Christian. And Dayuma still did not feel a heart to go into the jungle and, and see her family. She was scared, and she was, she was not feeling excited about that at all. And yet, God was working on her heart. And two years after that massacre in the jungle, Dayuma returned to the jungle to see her mother and to share the good news of Jesus with her tribe. And Rachel Saint soon followed. Rachel believed that she was linked, committed to this tribe by the death of her brother. And for the next 40 years, she lived and worked and poured out God's love for the Waroni. She died in 1994 and is buried in a small town there in the jungles of Ecuador. And God calls us to agape love to people around us, in spite of their character flaws, the way they squeeze the toothpaste tube, in spite of the undeserving nature of the way they act. God loved us in this way, and we do less for the people around us.